a very special rabbi that I'm fortunate to see every day in shul. And his name is Hanan Godon, Rabbi Hanan Godon. He is known for, his, for many things, but he's got a very famous uh, show, radio show, called The Anthony Gordon Show, which is on, you can get all of his uh, talks on iTunes and, uh, and Spotify and all of his podcasts, and they're very well uh, seeked after. Uh, he has become one of the most sought-after speakers and lecturers in the Jewish world. Um, he used to be a stand-up comedian, apparently he still is, uh, in Johannesburg, uh, South Africa. He's from South Africa. And he uh, organized major music concerts while a student at the Harvard Law School, um, becoming a business manager and life coach for some of the most prominent athletes and celebrities in the world today. So his, his experiences, both as a rabbi in the religious world and in the secular world, are very unique. And he's not boring. He's inspiring. And uh, we're excited. He also worked together with um, Dick Horowitz, who I'm sure many of you know, uh, in creating the, the, the research, the well-known survey on will your grandchildren be Jewish? Will your great-grandchildren, what are the odds or the numbers, according to American Jewry, that your uh, grandchildren will be Jewish. So him as a rabbi, together with a famous actuary, uh, Dick Horowitz, made this survey together, and it's very, very interesting. It's definitely uh, an awakening for all of us. And we are very fortunate to have him here. So without further ado, Anthony. So after that introduction, I think we go straight to Q&A. What do you think? <laughs> you know, let me just tell you, I, I have to tell you guys, firstly, you have... And I can say this with some authority. One of the most dynamic and most awesome rabbis in my dear friend, Rabbi, Rabbi Jack Malul. He's got everything except a South African accent, the whole package. <laughs> dynamic, charismatic, people person, beautiful wife. So I must just, the only thing I have to say, Rabbi Jack, is this is anti-Semitic. He tells me, 8.15 rabbi on the nose. So here I am in the office. At 8 o'clock exactly, they switch off the air conditioning. So I'm sitting here, schwitzing. So if I have to leave, take a shower and come back, it's all Rabbi Jack's fault. <laughs> but here's what I want to do. Um, I was just telling your beloved rabbi that I've been on the proverbial speaking center for many, many years. And what I've come to learn is that you can't lecture today. You can't give a, a speech. It's a whole different generation. I'm competing with Twitter, Schmitter, Snapchat, Snapchat. So here's what we're going to do. The topic that everyone was given is why a bother living? How's my British accent? Why a bother living? Now, the only reason why we would even ask that question is because I think most people go through experiences of setbacks, of disappointments, of their dreams, their preconceived idea about their life never seems to pan out. And having done, you know, spoken at many, many conferences and workshops, probably the most common question that I'm asked, which, which dovetails with the title, is Rabbi, if God loves me, 
Why did my boyfriend break up with me? Why didn't I get into this school? How come? Very common question. So I've come to realize after doing this for quite some time that it's actually not your fault at all. Why? Because we live in the Western world and there's a culture out there called pop culture. So I've come to really summarize it down into four myths. There's four myths or preconceived ideas, my friends, that I think we all erroneously harbor. Tonight we're going to dispel those myths. The only reason why people have a problem and ask the question, Rabbi, why bother living? If God loves me, it should be much more fun. Is because people's preconceived idea about why we are in this world is completely and utterly wrong. So what we're going to do this evening, I'm going to give you the four most common uh, pop culture myths. We're then going to dispel them. We're going to go into some questions and answers, followed by a 15-minute standing ovation. Right? Okay. So myth number one that I find all the time is that people say a happy life well, let me just take a step back. One of the things about an outstanding public speaker is to make sure that you remember the main points of what I'm going to say this evening. So the four myths that I'm going to share with you are going to be summarized into the acronym H. A-I-S-H. Okay? Again, I'm late. I need a doctor's certificate and let me summarize. This evening, we're talking about the topic why the People would only ask that question if life is tough. If life's tough, it's a normal question to, to challenge why go through this journey called life if we get setbacks, disappointments, and many vicissitudes. We went on to say that there are major myths. And when people drink the Kool-Aid and have preconceived ideas, usually they get shattered and disappointed. The four major myths are as follows in the order of the acronym H. Myth number one, A for a happy life, people think, is a pain-free life. So I'm here to tell you there's nothing further from the truth. Probably the most common thing that I, that I hear is that, Rabbi, clearly, if I'm going to have a happy life, I need to post. I need to have my house in Belair. I need to have a Ferrari. I need to marry the person that I, that I like to marry. I need to have 17 bank accounts. And by the way, I need to have my summer home in Florida and Israel. And if anything goes wrong, I'm out of here. Let me tell you why the notion of a happy life is a painful life is completely bogus. So my, my main teacher was Rabbi Weinberg in Israel. And before that, in Baltimore, who was Rabbi Weinberg's teacher, one of the things that Rabbi Weinberg was, was, was used to underscore is definition. So let's look at the concept of happy. I'm going to ask you guys whether the following scenario is fun or is happy. Okay? Uh, Six Flags roller coaster. Is that fun or is that happiness? Excellent. Brilliant answer. Clearly, going up and down in Anaheim and vomiting your lunch 
is a transient euphoric experience, but there's nothing that has longevity. Because two minutes after vomiting your guts out, you've got nothing to show for it. What about uh, bungee jumping? Person jumping like a mishugana off the Empire State Building with a piece of dental floss tied to the ankle, about to get be part of the scenery, and then bounces back. Is that a moment of fun or is that happiness? Again, clearly that cannot possibly be happiness because happiness has to, by definition, have a sense of something we internalize, have a sense of longevity, and have a sense of something to show for after the experience dissipates. How do I know this is true? Because most people growing up in our environment in the Western world think that the Torah is a whole bunch of stories, a guy with a big ark, two zebras, two giraffes, uh, some guy going up the mountains getting two tablets. The truth is the Torah is really the most profound instruction book of how to have a happy life. And in this book called the Torah, there is no, there is no Hebrew word in the true biblical language of the word fun, which perforce helps us understand that the Almighty did not put us here out for fun. He loves you more than you will even love your own children, but he wants you to be happy as opposed to fun. So let's try and understand this concept of how we possibly think a happy life is a pain-free life. Clearly, the idea of some of the examples we've given are fun. Let's try and get a sense of what happiness means. So the Hebrew word for simcha is the closest we can get to the notion of happiness. There's a word that's similar to simcha, which is tzamech, and phonetically it's the same as simcha, which means to grow. By definition, one is only feels a sense of true internal peace, a true sense of uh, self-esteem and a true sense of elevation and a true sense of a transient experience if one's doing something that whereby one is growing. The, the pedagogical example given by the Talmud is the birth of a child, right? So I remember when I was pregnant, the nine months of gestation were pretty heavy, right? And then I went into labor, insane, but what comes out? Gorgeous, a beautiful little child, okay? So I always joke with my wife, because I have suffered many times from kidney stones. So thank God, when my wife went into these hoo-hahs and out came a gorgeous, magnificent looking child because it looks like my wife. After I went through these kidney stones, a little piece of calcium came out. So after the pain and after the epidural and the screaming and the shouting, the, the zenith of that is the true sense of, of happiness, the next generation. So the fact that the Torah gives that as an example, perforce must mean that one second, it's the Lord himself. That it must mean that, the, that you cannot really have true happiness. I'm coming. We're just teaching the eighth lit class. I'll be right there, Almighty. It's amazing in the middle of the class. It's incredibly selfish. Um, so it must mean you cannot really feel happiness without paying the price. So let's talk about 
what pain is. So one of the most famous commentators of recent times was the Rambam. So the Rambam says there are four levels of pain. It's unbelievable. What's the most benign level of pain? The most benign level of pain is, is some problem with money. It's not, a, it's not a cool thing. We know it's stressful and, and one feels how you can pay the mortgage. It's not relevant for the average Aish rabbi who makes hundreds and hundreds of thousands of dollars a week. But for most people, the notion of making a living is pretty painful. So the fourth level, which is the most benign level, is money. Why? Because the concept of money comes and goes, which is one of the reasons at a Jewish wedding, by the way, that you, that you give, if you've ever seen one of the, the, the witnesses of a Jewish wedding, you give a pruta, because it's, it's, it's really a circle. It personifies the fact that money never lasts, according to Talmud, more than three generations. What's the next, what's the next level up in pain? The next level up, according uh, to the Rambam, <clears throat> is, God forbid, illness or health. So we're just going through a very tough time during the coronavirus, and we see, no question, that people are going through pain. Money can, cannot buy one's health. So the next level up, for sure, more profound and more, more acute is one's health. What's the penultimate level of pain? The Rambam says it's vicarious pain. By vicarious pain, God willing, you'll all be parents one day. When a parent sees their child in any kind of destitute of pain, uh, the, the, the connection between a parent and a child is so profound that it's an incredible pain. What is the highest level of pain that we can feel according to the Rambam? No pain at all. Indifference. There's nothing more painful than the notion that nobody cares. There's nothing more painful than the fact that we're alone. Which, my friends, is the reason why in the classic story of the Garden of Eden, the punishment of the snake was that all of his food and all of the, anything that he needed, all of his sustenance, he could get himself the dust, the trees, the leaves. He never had to look heaven bound. The concept of not having that transient connection is the most painful thing in the world. There was a study done at Yale, which of course is the second best Ivy League school, that a subject group, <coughs> excuse me, a control group, twins. They took one group and they had rules of, you're gonna be back at seven o'clock, you're gonna wear this uniform, and the other group, you wanna come back at four in the morning? No problem. You wanna smoke this and, and that, no problem. They tracked each group 20 years later. Which group, my friends, did you think became juvenile delinquents? The group that had parameters, had guidelines, had all the group that said, whatever you want to do, it's a free world. Did everyone hear that? I kind of didn't hear that so well, Rabbi. It okay, kind of, uh, my accent. Went out. Okay. Is it audio? Yeah, the audio. It's, it's my audio? No, I think yours is great. It's, it could Maybe be, a, here. Could yeah. be my, my ears. I'm going to email you some Q-tips. You should be fine. <laughs> two, group, two, two groups, guys. One group, it was a control study done at Yale. One group said, there's a curfew. You have to be home at a certain time. You have to eat healthy food. 
very clear guidelines and very clear interaction and supervision. The other group, absolutely no rules. You want to be back at four in the morning? That's not, not a problem. You want to have a relationship with a hamster? Not a problem. Which group 20 years later were juvenile delinquents and landed up 92% either in jail or dead? The group that had absolutely no restrictions, no barriers. There is nothing worse, nothing more painful than indifference. So point number one, the myth that we first dispelled is a happy life means a pain-free life. We said there's nothing further from the truth. In fact, quite the contrary, pain is not something that is bad. Pain is the price that you need to pay for greatness. If you want, you're going to have to make a decision in your life as young, successful, up-and-coming professionals. You can either be comfortable or great. If you're going to choose the left turn and be great, you're going to you're going to go through pain. That's the price that you pay. Myth number two. Myth number two is the I in H. By the way, anyone who wants, you can ask a question. Yeah, for sure. Any point. Anyone who wants to, you know, ask questions, throw money at me. The second, the second I for H is the myth that happiness comes from I, from me. It's all about me. Now I say this really, I say this in all candor with a heavy heart because some of my, my kids are millennials. In fact, I'm a millennial. And you guys are growing up in the I generation. iPhone, iTunes iPad. So I want to tell you a story, which I think illustrates this point very beautifully. It's a story of a young guy who was running through an airport transit lounge. And in his rush to get to his terminal, he stopped at one of the, the Hudson um, refreshment places, grabbed some cookies, ran on to gate number 32, plunked himself down, and there was an elderly man one seat away from him. So it was him, empty seat, elderly man. And he remembers, you know, in the hubble, in the, the rush, grabbing cookies somewhere, figured that his cookies were in the empty seat next to him. And he sat down, <clears throat> bag of cookies next to him, put his hand in the cookies, started eating them. Few minutes later, the old man put his hand in the cookies and grabbed the cookie out. So this young guy is incredulous. You know, he doesn't want to say anything to this old guy. Few minutes later, this guy's starving. Hand goes back in the cookie jar, grabs a cookie. Literally 30 seconds later, the old man puts his hand in the cookies, grabs a cookie, and this continued until the very last cookie. And as they came down to the very last cookie, our hero, the old man, broke it in half, left a half of the youngster, and he took a half. Suddenly over the intercom, Delta Airlines 6432 back to Los Angeles, the young guy realized that that's his flight, picks up his overhead bag, it's about to dart off into the gate, and suddenly there's a crash, Something falls out of his bag. He looks down. It's his bag of cookies. He realized that the bag of cookies was really the old man. And that old man 
sharing. The concept of whether one feels better by giving or taking is a very, very important thing, specifically in the generation that you guys are in, which is almost which growing up in an environment with technology where things are instantaneous, where things are easy, it's a muscle that can very easy, easily atrophy. One of the reasons that we know that giving is more important than taking, and a class that I, I give often, which is not for now, is the concept that there's no such a thing. There is no such a thing as love at first sight. It does not exist. How do we know? Because the Hebrew word for love is ahava. If you look at the etymology, if you look at the, the root, hey base means to give. It's not an emotion. The more you give, a byproduct of giving, the more you'll love someone. Which means, and this is a very, very profound concept, as a general rule, that's exactly why a parent will always love a child more than a child loves a parent. Because the more you give, the more you love. So <clears throat> for, for those of you who came late, I see that we've got now up to 47,812. So for the 12 of you just walked in, the topic is why bother living? We can only ask the question that people are having a tough time. And we, we, have the, we, we started with the premise that people are having a tough time because we, we in the Western world tend to drink the Kool-Aid and the Kool-Aid gives us certain myths, and our job tonight before the standing ovation is to dispel those myths. We said we're using the acronym H. A is A, happy life does not mean a pain-free life. I, we said, is the I or me generation. The third myth, which is a myth that I see very often in the world that we're in, we represent a lot of famous celebrities, we represent a lot of professional athletes, we, uh, we, we represent people that have got a ton of money, the myth is the S for H is that success equals happiness. Nothing further from the truth. From around Morgan Stanley, I covered Silicon Valley. That was the territory that our office covered. I want to read you something which was I realized at the time, but I've never seen it in such a profound way. It's a quote from Dr. Adam Strasberg, who's arguably one of the best known psychiatrists in. Silicon Valley. He said the following, I'm quoting verbatim. <clears throat> There's a well-known shortage of psychiatrists in Silicon Valley. He goes on to say, I practiced psychiatry in Silicon Valley for nearly 20 years, surfed the rise of the internet, floated with dot-com bubbles and busts, witnessed fortunes and follies, all from the arms of my leather chair in my tiny office through a courtyard window with two very ancient goldfish in tow. Every day a parade of stressed out middle-class multi-millionaires march through my office on the hour, by the hour. I'm indeed a Silicon Valley psychiatrist. He goes on to say, I've witnessed so much success and yet so little happiness. In our very valley of material riches and natural beauty, the two are regrettably too often in opposition. Let's talk about what the difference is between success and happiness. And your profound spiritual leader, Rabbi Jack said, that I, went, uh, I graduated from Harvard, I went to law school and then I went back to Harvard Business School. A lot of my classmates are 
very successful. I went back recently for my 25th reunion, even though I'm only 27. I have never seen so many depressed, miserable people in my life. Okay, let's talk about the difference between success and happiness. Success, my friends, is getting what you want. Happiness is wanting what you get. Success is having all the money in the world. Happiness is having a family and friends to spend it on. Success is having everyone know your name. Happiness is knowing everyone's name. Success is money in the bank. Your happiness cannot be deposited. Success is private jets. Happiness is flying high. Success is praise. Happiness is never needing it. Success is all of the money in the world. Happiness is needing none of it. Success is doing what you love. Happiness is loving what you do. Success is envy. Happiness is shared. My friends, the difference between... As soon as we're about to hit the point, it's unbelievable how selfish Check. Can you get the, it's unbelievable. I need to see a manager right away. Success, my friends, is measured in human terms. Okay, we're talking about money, Google stock, but happiness is a divine gift. Two parts of the, the two parts of the human psyche is the body and the soul. Happiness, by definition, has to touch the spiritual DNA. Otherwise, you will have something temporal called fun. Again, we, we said we're going to dispel, dispel four myths. A, we, a for H is a happy life does not mean a, a happy life does not mean a pain-free life. We said it's not about I and me. We then went on to say S for, for H is a success does not mean happiness. The last of the myths is that one of the mantras, it's incredible, that they taught me at Harvard Business School is that if it is to be, it is up to me. I mean, it's insane how they pump your narcissism. Clearly, if it is to be, it's up to he, right? So what happens to people is they realize at some point, we've got limited control of our lives. So I want to tell you, we represent, I think today, probably one of the most famous actors in the world. I can't say his name, but I'll tell you what a typical situation is. Across the hall here is CAA, one of the biggest, most profound talent agencies on the planet Earth. So suppose this phone call would happen. The phone rings. Agent calls his famous actor and he says, Jack, no relation to our ace rabbi. Jack, I've got the most unbelievable, amazing script. Here's the part you're going to play, my friend. You're going to play a fat, obese character extremely socially awful. Thank you very much. You're going to play an obese person, socially inept. You're going to be poor as a church mouth. And at the end of the story, it's all going to come together. So the actor says to the CIA agent, absolutely, under no circumstances, am I, Mr. CIA, playing that role. People will think that I don't have any buddies. People will think that I'm a social misfit. This is ridiculous. Now, in our story, why is Jack a complete schmendrick? Because it's an act, Jack. The way you win an Oscar award is two ways. Either you hand a brown bag with cash to the Academy, one, or two, you are performing your character 
in, in the best possible way. My friends, every single one of us comes down to this world and we're given a script. Whether you're going to be six foot two, the color of your eyes, you don't choose your parents, you don't choose where you're going to be born, it's a little bit deeper, but according to many approaches, you don't necessarily choose who's going to be your soulmate. These things are part of the script we are given. The Almighty is going to ask you basically one question. Were you the, did you perform your script to the best of your ability? I say this because I see, I speak a lot in campuses, I speak a lot to, to uh, people of, of, I guess, your generation. The concept of FOMO, of, of fear of missing out, the concept of getting whiplash to see what is so antithetical to happiness. Every single thing that you need to fulfill your role, you're going to get. You've never seen a doctor looking in a carpenter's toolbox and trying to figure out where his stethoscope is. It's unbelievable how many times I see how people tell us how, how good they feel as a direct correlation of how many likes they got and whether a person responded to their latest tweet, Schmidt leak. It's exactly what's coming to you is going to come to you. All you have to do is be the best you. So my friends, we said there's really four myths we dispelled tonight using the acronym A. A, happy life is not a pain-free life. A happy life is not a pain-free life. I, it's not about I and me, it's about giving. S, success does not mean happiness. And finally, we said H is he, not me. We have very limited control and the skill in this world is figure out what you can control, what you cannot control, and all you have to be is the best you. There is one thing, my friends, that you can absolutely control. And I've asked your rabbi to disseminate a poem. I want to get two volunteers, guys, before the siren goes off and the water starts spraying. I need two volunteers. There we go. Yo. Okay, um, one second. Okay, who's got a who's got a loud projecting type of voice? Yo, I got you. Yo, who's that? Uh, name's Omri. Omri, how are you, my friend? I've been better, but it's okay. How can okay. I? Okay, so I want to tell you a very, very true story. There was one of the greatest saintly rabbis of our generation. His name was the Chavetz Chaim. The Chavitz Chaim said to one of his students, how are you, young man? He said, I could be better. His famous answer was, if you could be better, you would be better. Everything Omri that's happening in your life right now is exactly the way it's supposed to be. The only difference in, between you and Omri Caspi is maybe two feet. Everything else, you've got. There's a Omri lot more than that. <laughs> that. Okay, here's what, <laughs> what we're going to do, Omri. I want you to take this poem. I want you to face our live streaming audience to Staples Center, 2.1 billion people, and read this from the top down with as much uh, which, with as much projection as you possibly can. Oh, I've seen this. You read it from the top down. Okay. If you've seen it, I want you to keep going. It's gonna, okay, you want to hit right, it from... All right, all right, all right. I'll read go it. From, ladies and gentlemen, Omri Caspi, goodbye. Oh, my God. Today was the absolute worst day ever. And don't try to convince me that there's something good in every day. Because when you take a look, this world is a pretty evil place. 
You want me to go to the next paragraph? Keep going, keep going, keep going. You're doing fantastic even work. If some, even if some goodness does shine through once in a while, satisfaction and happiness don't last. And it's true that it's all in the mind and heart because true happiness can be attained only if one's surroundings are good. It's not true that good exists. I'm sure that you can agree that the reality creates. You're doing great. I'm you're doing great. My attitude, it's all beyond my control. And you'll never in a million years hear me say that today was a good day. Art standing. I need one more volunteer. So reach you do it. Sure. Who? Why you got to do me like that? Okay. Anyone. You don't have Anyone. to. I can do it. It's fine. There's no right and wrong. This is from the heart. I mean, the worst comes to us, you make an absolute fool of yourself in front of a billion people. That's the worst. <laughs> okay, any, Alison? Yeah, I mean, Siri, do you want to do it? Alison, can you, can you see the poem? Alison, I, I think it's your turn. Can you see the poem? <laughs> I can't. I okay, like... so here's what I want you to do, Alison. You ready? Yeah, I want I'm you ready. to see, I want you to read that exact same poem that, that Omri Caspi read. With one little, with one little difference, uh -huh. I want you to read the poem with expression from the bottom upwards. You're up. Okay. Today was a very good day. So like, okay. Today was a very good day. And you'll never in a million years hear me say that. It's all beyond my control. My attitude creates the reality. I'm sure that you can agree. It's not true that good exists. Only if one's surroundings are good. True happiness can be attained because it's all in the mind and the heart, and it's not true that satisfaction and happiness don't last. While some goodness does shine through once in a while, or if, while some goodness does great. shine once in a while, even if this world is a pretty evil place. Because when you take a closer look, there's something good in every day. And don't try to convince me that today was the absolute worst day ever. Outstanding. Okay. So what was the difference? Omri and Alison read the exact same poem, slightly different iteration. If you change the way, if you change the way you look at things, the things you look at change, which means the one thing, my friends, that you have completely in your hands is your attitude. So let me sum up by saying the following. We started off by saying our topic was <clears throat> why bother living? A lot of people are frustrated. A lot of people are depressed. A lot of people think that the life that they're leading is plan B. Plan A, they were supposed to marry Jeff Bezos' daughter. They were what happened here? Okay. My friends, I'm here to tell you that we think that because most of us have sublimely embraced pop culture. It's not our fault. We get bombarded every single day. We said there were four major myths that I, that I try to dispel this evening using the acronym H. A, the notion that a happy life means a pain-free life, we debunked. Nothing further from the truth. You can never, ever be great in this world without pain. Number two, to really, really have true peace of mind and a sense of accomplishment, it's not about I, it's not about me, it's about giving, and it's about being part of something that's greater than yourself. The S for H, we said that success it does not mean happiness. And finally, we said the H for H is that it's, it's not up to me, it's up to he. 
want to end with a story before questions and answers, and then in a rounding applause. It's a story about <clears throat> a rabbi in a primary school who had a tremendous insight into his students. He knew the psyche, he knew the EQ, he knew the, the, the idiosyncrasies of every single one of his students. So what used to happen is during recess, the kids would go out, and they would all patch around in the, in the, in the playground, and some guy would pick up a tennis ball, some guy would pick up a twig, and the rabbi would always go to figure out, based on the soul of their student, what, was, what, what object were they likely to bring back after recess. So Moishi was a little bit of a, was a little bit of the, the, the class clown. He was a little bit precocious, and he said, he called in the, the whole class, and he said, I am going to show you how I'm going to completely embarrass Rebbe. He knows that I love butterflies. So here's what I'm going to do. He's going to say, what's in your hand, Moshe? Of course it's going to be a butterfly. He's going to say, is it dead or alive? If he says it's alive, I'm going to crush it, and a little carcass is going to fall to the ground. If he says it's dead, I'm going to open my eyes. The butterfly is going to fly away. I will do the last laugh. Recess, they come back. Moshe comes back with his little hand cupped. The teacher says, Moshe, What's in your hand? I know it's a butterfly. Drum roll. Moshi, is it dead? Yeah, but Moshi says to the teacher, is it dead, Rebbe, or alive? The Rebbe said to Moshi, it's in your hand. My friends, tonight we've learned four very important principles of how to look at the world through the prism of the instructions for living. And if we change our perspective, perforce, the way we look at our lives, the debt of gratitude that we have. <clears throat> Your Rabbi Jack spoke about the, the research that we did. You are part of 0.02% of the population. The Almighty chose each and every one of you and gave you the greatest gift that he could possibly give, and that's a Jewish soul. It's no, no coincidence that you were chosen. And as much as we think things are might just have happened, it's not by chance that you are Aishlet this evening. Each and every single one of you, the Talmud in Sanhedrin says that the people who choose to live a meaningful, purposeful life are hand-picked diamonds from the Almighty. It's rough out there. There's a, lot of, there's a lot of things that we have to overcome. Even when you give a lecture, they try and distract you. So amongst the rough, my friends, you are the diamonds. And I wish you bracha, only good things, you're with a wonderful, wonderful rabbi in Robertson. You're at an amazing place. And I can tell you, it wasn't by chance. There's a lot, there's a lot expected of you. You are the, the torch that we hand to for the next generation. And the one thing I'll end with is that when a Jew wakes up in the morning, we say a thing called Mordeh Ani. Most people focus on the first two words. But the last two words of the thing that we say when we wake up every morning is, Rabbi Munasecha, I, meaning God, has faith in you. The Almighty has faith in you. That's an unbelievable compliment, which means that each and every one of you is destined for gold. The Almighty doesn't expect any silver or bronze medals from, from his diamonds. Thank you for your time, and I'll, I'll be happy to take any questions. <clears throat> questions, checks. Thank you, thank you. Wow. Standing ovation. Come on, guys. <laughs> <laughs> That was amazing. So inspiring. Pleasure. So you, you need my wire transfer instructions or?
Yeah, what's your bank account? Is it in South Africa or is it here? South Africa. Oh, oh my bank. Cool. South Africa, the dollar is worth about 11 cents. So I could buy the entire country for uh, for what Rabbi Kirk makes in a week. <laughs> Guys, you anything, seriously, I, I'm not just saying this. I've spoken at many, many different uh, events. Before I was preparing for the class, I got a sense of, I went onto the Ashford website. It's an unbelievably colorful, all-encompassing experience that you guys have. I mean, I want to give a big round of applause to Rabbi Jack and Rabbi Sinshira. You guys, seriously, Thank you. unbelievable. It's just amazing. And, and I say it from the bottom of my heart. Thank you. What else was I supposed to say, Rabbi? <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much for I your know. time. I mean, for willing to come and speak to everyone. Yes, Anyone, anyone would like to, you know, jump in, ask any questions, share anything um, before we wrap up the evening? Guys, I already suggest you uh, listening to the Anthony Gordon show. It's really Oh, what a plug. <laughs> uh, and some really cool people. Who is the most famous person you've had on so far? I think we've had a lot of people. Um, Jane Seymour, Matt Bourne's. Uh, we just... Um, I just interviewed Marshall Newhouse, who played for the Patriots, who, who guarded Tom Brady. Um, who, uh, we got Mark Spitz coming up. I don't know if you remember, he was the best Olympian uh, medallion. Uh, we had Brianna Rollins, who won the gold medal in the Olympics. She's expected to win the gold coming up. Uh, who would you know? Um, a lot, cool. lot of cool people. That's, cool. That's amazing. That's really cool. And I will tell you, here's the secret. If you, you go into iTunes or, or you go into Spotify, Every single question that I'm asking them, without them realizing, so I'll give you the, the, just between us, is really based on Torah. Because Torah, at the end of the day, is ultimately the most discerning way to help a person have a happy, wholesome, and purposeful life. And I see as someone who represents a lot of these folks, so many people, and I'm saying this because I, it, gives, it, it's, it gives me pain, vicarious pain, the hundreds of thousands of, of millennials out there who are living lives of quiet desperation. They don't have a GPS. You guys have got, we all know the very final destination. But I think if you have something that'll ensure that you recalculate less, it bodes well. I'll end with one final thing. The world says we live and learn. There's nothing more insane. Why make mistakes? Why marry the wrong person? From a Jewish perspective, we don't believe you live and learn. You learn, and then you go out and love. And the instructions are there. The roadmap is there. God adores you. He wants you to have less recalculation. He's giving you unbelievable, unbelievable coaches. And he's put you in an unbelievable environment. And, and again, it's rough. You guys are the diamonds. God bless until next time. Wait, we have some questions. Oh. Anyone? <laughs> oh, no, your alarm's going off again. <laughs> Rabbi Gordon, what is there um, a way we could contact you? Like, you, you, you have an email that you could yeah, give so, out? So go to www.rabbihanangordon.com. And on that, there's a, there's a bunch of, I think it's admin. Uh, I think admin, yeah, admin at rabbihanangordon.com. Just go to www.rabbi. Okay. I'll send it to them after. Will yeah. you? Yeah. yeah. Fantastic. Okay. Fantastic. Brilliant. You guys are fantastic. Um, Thank you. And I'm happy to come back if you have another $50,000 for the next for the next round. 
<laughs> and hopefully we'll do it in a we need, we need to fundraise job. we'll let you know we're gonna fundraise <laughs> you guys are great oh we have someone Omri 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 Caspi uh, uh, Omri it seems to me like you like to bring a lot of comedians in <laughs> I do I like comedian rabbi comedian rabbi uh, hybrids did <laughs> like, yeah. he just call me a hybrid yes it's unbelievable there's no respect in this generation oops <laughs> I'll tell you <laughs> You know, the truth of the matter is, and this is the 100% true, for the last, I don't know how many years, I, I go to the draft, you know, for the NFL, we go to the, and I realize humor is one of the most unbelievable ways that you can cut through everything and connect with people. So one of my teachers showed me that it says in the Talmud that there's a place, a special place in the next world for, for people that can make other people laugh. Because laugh, la laughter usually helps a person drill down into their substance. And we live in a world where there's more form over substance. God wants you to be real. And if humor can just turn the world upside down and realize that uh, we're all in this together. And there is such a thing as, you know, we're having a, a, a connected experience. And, uh, you know, we're gonna realize that as much as life is serious, it's also important not to take yourself too seriously. Wow, that's beautiful. Okay. Thanks, guys. Thank you, thank you right. so right. much. Thank you. Thank, thank you so much. It was amazing. Thank you. Thanks so much. Thank you. you guys are great.